Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Galant Says Podcast, available live exclusively on Twitch, but also wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. It is Thursday, May 5th of 2022, or as some people call it, the 5th of May, or as others call it, Cinco de Mayo. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Later start to today's show, I am in the midst of finishing acquiring a property. I don't know why I said it so properly, but I, at least to my knowledge, am very, very close to potentially living in not this shithole apartment that I'm in right now, which I know I have bitched about a lot recently. There's been a lot of issues and a lot of issues that haven't been resolved, even though I have consistently gone to the leasing office and been extremely nice. I have sent emails to them. I have sent emails to the property company that owns the place. I do not get responses to it. And I have been exceptionally patient. And I go in there and the people that work in the leasing office, they're very nice people. I know that their hands are a little bit tied with a lot of this stuff. And I, I've been exceptionally patient. But today, a couple of days ago, I found out my cat had fleas. And I'm like, okay, guys, let's let's get this figured out at the very least. My poor cat's been scratching her face off for the last couple of days. And I gave her a flea bath. I gave her some of that flea medication. You know, I'm wearing high socks around the apartment so that they don't bite my ankles off. And I thought that this would be resolved. But two days after I went into the leasing office and said, hey, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. And by the way, I want to get out of my lease at the end of this coming month and I will pay for this final month of rent, but I, I need to get out. And there was no response on their part. So today I went into the office and after just standing and waiting in the leasing area for a good 10 minutes or so, someone finally spoke with me. It was the person who helped me, you know, first get this apartment. And while I was talking with her, this is the first time where I wasn't yelling, but I was loud. And you guys all know I'm loud. I think a lot of you guys in Seattle were like, why is Paul always yelling? No, this is just how I talk all the time. And I brought up just a list of all sorts of different things. And I thought, okay, maybe if I'm loud and I'm loud in front of other people who are potentially looking at apartments in this apartment complex, something will actually happen. Low-key embarrass them. They'll actually bring me into an office and I'll get to talk with somebody high up the food chain. So as I'm listing these things and I see the people that are in charge are within earshot and are not doing anything about it, they're not coming out to talk to me, they're avoiding eye contact with me as they always have when I'm in here, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm just going to raise the volume a little bit. We're going to go from about a six on the Paul Gallant scale to a seven and a half or so. And what's really funny is one of the other people in the leasing office decided that this was the time to step in and tell me that I was being rude. And I'm like, Hang on a second. So the front of my apartment door has been essentially savaged by these really shitty uh, contractors who one day just took my balcony off, the balcony that goes to the stairs that go down from my second floor apartment. It was just gone. It was gone for a day. So I had to like walk across a plank essentially to get to my car, to get to the gym, to get to work and back. Pretty fucking dangerous, right? Pretty concerning too. Anyway, I did that. 
They built the balcony back up. It's supposed to be nicer, less cracks in it. But in doing so, they fucked up the outside wall of my apartment. So now there's just this wire that's hanging outside of the apartment. It looks like someone's taking a battering ram to the wall. There's scrapes and cuts and missing shingles and stuff everywhere on it. And then on top of that, when you add that into the fact that we have not been able to get mail for the last two weeks because they fucked up the mailbox, that was apparently a U.S. Postal Service worker, but whatever, I'm just going to blame it on them, where there's this little pipe that's leaking sewage out, and there's essentially this giant pile of poop and toilet paper that's right to the exterior of one of the walkways that goes to where our cars are, when, again, the fleas thing is taking place, there's roaches all over the place, they have been really slow with all sorts of different things. I know, I am bitching, I am self-endorsing the problem problem that I am dealing with at this point in time. This lady decides to say, you're being rude. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And it's funny, people are always waiting for their chance to turn the table on you when you call them out. They're always waiting for it. Her calling me rude after going into the leasing office and being patient over and over and over and over again. I don't know if it was her attempt at a power trip, but she was saying, you're being rude. Fuck you and fuck your sale that you're trying to make to those poor people that are going to end up living in this shithole apartment complex. They should know. They should know all of the shit that I'm dealing with. And this lady has the balls to tell me I'm being rude by being loud when I'm not talking to her. So what I said was, I don't care. I just said, I don't care. I've been here enough. I have told you guys over and over again. And she kept on saying, well, that's rude. And the other people in the leasing office, they actually cut her off, which I very much appreciate. But this person pissed me the fuck off. Oh my God, so awful. Stone GM 206 asks, where do you live? The Astrodome? No, because at least the Astrodome is a historical landmark. Where I live is just a fucking shithole. It's right on the edge of one of those Houston bayous. It's terrible. I get what I paid for. I moved down here without a job, but I've had enough. I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of asking for a couple of different things with the idea that you can't get it done because, oh, well, we have these people that are outside contractors. Like, for example, one of these people, the pest control that's supposed to come and take care of the actual fleas and shit, these motherfuckers, they apparently only come on Tuesdays and they only come on Tuesdays during the hours of my show. So they have a two-hour window on Tuesday where they can come here. I don't want them to come here while I'm not there because I don't want them to murder my cat accidentally with some of this flea stuff. So... Losing my shit here. Anyway, how's your Thursday? Do I need a drink? Yes, that's the answer. So happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. What do you guys know about Cinco de Mayo? Let's go to Wikipedia and try to figure something out, huh? Let's go to Wikipedia and see. Cinco de Mayo is a yearly celebration held on May 5th, which commemorates the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire at the Battle of Puebla. In 1862, led by General Ignacio Zaragoza, the victory of a smaller, poorly equipped Mexican force against the larger and better armed French army, classic France, right, was a morale boost for the Mexicans. So it sounds like a really jubilant occasion, right? I kept on reading on this Wikipedia entry before today's show. It continues, and Jesus, I can't believe we celebrate this at all. Zaragoza died months after the battle from an illness, and the larger French force ultimately defeated the Mexican army at the Second Battle of Puebla and occupied Mexico City. All right, so they won one battle against overwhelming odds, but they lost the second battle against overwhelming odds. So ultimately, this isn't like Thermopylae, which is, I guess, what Mexico is trying to claim here with this holiday of Cinco de Mayo. This was our Thermopylae. 
Because the Spartans eventually lost its 300 guys battling against an entire horde of essentially Persians back in, uh, what was it, like 500 BC or something like that. That was an incredible feat, an incredible holding of off of a, a superior force. And then, though, Greece ultimately stops Persia, which is the part of the story that makes it even cooler. But if you actually lose to the French who are invading you from overseas, and it's not even like 1700s France we're talking about. We're talking about 1850s France, which I guess is still hardcore. But like, you're getting conquered by Napoleon III. You know, you're getting, you're getting conquered by, by not even the original Napoleon, not even the second Napoleon. So anyway, I, I, I suppose it's maybe not the best thing to celebrate. I kept on reading the Wikipedia definition. More popular in the United States than Mexico, Cinco de Mayo has become associated with the celebration of Mexican-American culture. I think it's actually become associated with drinking Mexican shit, right? Tequila, Mezcal, Corona, Pacifico, Modelo, whatever. Celebrations began in California, where they have been observed annually since 1863. The day gained nationwide popularity beyond those of Mexican-American heritage in the 1980s due to advertising campaigns by beer, wine, and tequila companies. Okay, so once again, Big Booze has turned a random holiday into a drinking day. I will appreciate those people for that. Good job by the beer, wine, and tequila companies. Good job, seriously. Find a way to monetize a random day. Cinco de Mayo generates beer sales on par with the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's pretty fucking impressive. Cinco de Mayo is sometimes mistaken for Mexico's Independence Day, the most important national holiday in Mexico, which is celebrated September 16th, commemorating the Cry of Dolores in 1810, which initiated the War of Mexican Independence from Spain. That's actually interesting. What the hell is this cry of Dolores? We're going on a deep Wikipedia dive here. The cry of Dolores occurred in Dolores, Mexico on 16th of September of 1810 when Roman Catholic priest Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla rang his church bell and gave the call to arms that triggered the Mexican War of Independence. But no one actually knows what the hell he said. The spirit of the message, I guess, is per Wikipedia, my children, a new Dispensation comes to us today. Will you receive it? Will you free yourselves? Will you recover the land stolen 300 years ago from your forefathers? Well, hang on though. Like this is, the forefathers of Mexico are all dead at this point, right? I mean, it's kind of one of the fucked up things that took place when we had the mass migration of Europeans over to the uh, new world. But um, uh, forefathers, uh, come on. We're talking, we're talking about like the Aztecs. Your forefathers are fucking dead. We must act at once. Will you defend your religion and your rights as a true patriot? Death to bad government. Death to the uh, Gajabin. Pretty aggressive for a priest. Anyway, uh, that, is, that is the cry of Dolores. But uh, back to Cinco de Mayo. You know, this got me thinking. We, we have appropriated the fuck out of it. You know, I'm not Mexican-American by any means. I think we spent most of today's show, just uh, Vanessa and I, sounding extremely white, talking about... Mexican restaurants and what is authentic and what isn't. I honestly have no fucking clue what is and what isn't. I just thought that sounding as basic and as white as we did while talking about it would be amusing as long as people understood that we were kind of fucking around with it. But it, it, it did get me thinking because, 
you know, this, this is this is one of those days where you basically are like just full on appropriating something, and it's fine. Seriously, let's take a look at a little thing I put together earlier today. What have I appropriated? Me, Paul Gallant. Whenever I'm trying to claim that I'm an athletic person, I appropriate being from Florida, where I went to high school for four years. I'm not from Florida, though. But whenever I'm trying to make a point about how athletic I am, I'm like, yeah, I played high school football in Florida. Oh, you played in Massachusetts? (laughs) A bunch of slow people? (laughs) You don't get it. You don't get this 484 speed. But I'm from Massachusetts originally which is something that I appropriate whenever I'm trying to claim that I know more about how the NFL works than anybody else. I'm a fucking Pats fan, dude. You don't fucking get it. You growing up in your place, you don't, you didn't go to nine Super Bowls. You didn't win six Super Bowls. You didn't do any of that shit. You appropriate being from Boston to make a point. I, being white's kind of boring. Especially given that I'm essentially a uh, mostly Anglo-American mutt. I'm not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Gross. No, I'm Irish. Mostly. French-Canadian. Scottish. I'm sure there's some English. There's some Welsh. There's all sorts of other stuff in there. But, you know, a bunch of different things. But I appropriate being Irish because it sounds exotic to be Irish. At least by comparison. Right? But I'm not. I'm, I'm an American. I'm an Irish, mostly Irish-American. But I've appropriated being Irish, especially on St. Patrick's Day. And every now and then I, I go a little bit, I roll into it a little bit, especially when I'm talking about like England or something like that. Uh, I hate on England a little bit more than I actually should because there's probably some English blood flowing in my veins, you know, because the Irish are constantly being oppressed by the English. Uh, I appropriate living in Texas whenever somebody from the Northeast tries to take me out while I'm visiting the Northeast to visit one of their Mexican restaurants. You should try here. How about I don't? Sorry, um, I only like authentic Tex-Mex, even though I don't know what it is, but I only do this with my friends in the Northeast. That's it. It's fun to appropriate things. And as long as we admit that we're appropriating things, it's fine, right? You don't want to go too far. But there has all of a sudden been this line drawn where if you do anything that is from a culture that is not yours, you are appropriating it. Is that bad? Isn't imitation this most sincere form of flattery? And I'm not saying, hey, go out in blackface or something like that for Halloween. No, I'm not fucking saying that. Come on. All I'm saying is it's, it's weird how the call of appropriation is a blemish upon your character if somebody calls you so, uh, out as that. And I feel like, I mean, we do it all the time. We do it with Cinco de Mayo. We do it with St. Patrick's Day. What other holidays do we do it with? I'm sure we do it with a ton. Let's take a look at holidays in 2022. Uh, I don't think we're appropriating Belly Laugh Day. That's an actual holiday. You know, January 24th of 2022 per calendar365.com. Um, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. We appropriate that. Not enough people appropriate Mardi Gras. It only takes place in New Orleans. More people should appropriate Mardi Gras, right? I mean, why is it only a big deal there? Is it just because that's like the one super Catholic hotbed in the United States? Boston's pretty Catholic. Why don't they do a Mardi Gras? Is it too cold or something? We should appropriate Mardi Gras. We should appropriate Grasparilla from from Tampa Bay, which is also a fun little weekend. Uh, Let's see. What else do we have here? Earth Day. 
we're appropriating that from hippie culture. How many people who celebrate Earth Day actually protect the environment or save the environment? Get a bunch of fucking like millionaire actors and activists and stuff who are like, yeah, don't use a private jet. But I mean, are they actually doing that? What else do we have here that you can potentially appropriate? You can appropriate Earth Day. Cinco de Mayo is not too long afterwards. Uh, let's go a little bit further. Labor Day. I mean, Labor Day is a holiday that basically is celebrating the fact that, hey, people that work like actually hard jobs with manual labor, you don't have to, you don't have to do that anymore. You have some rights. Here's one day off, said the government. As all the labor uh, workers were striking, as all the unions were like, nah, we're not going to do anything. I think you're kind of appropriating, like, having a hard job if you take that day off. But I'll gladly take it off. You don't tell me what to do. What else do we have here? Ooh. I don't think you want to appropriate Columbus Day. Although, if you watch that episode of The Sopranos, everyone gets really upset about the fact that the day stops being celebrated. And it's also funny that the holiday before that, at least on this calendar, is Native American Day. Yikes. Yikes. But it does make sense it would be before Columbus. Before Columbus, can you are Jesus. Is that one even celebrated at all anymore? I remember when I was going to school up in Massachusetts, you actually got Columbus Day off. I don't know if Columbus Day, people get it off in uh, Seattle. I would imagine no. In Houston, I would imagine no. But you got it off in Massachusetts. You didn't get it off in Florida. I remember one time I I, uh, went to go visit my dad for a weekend, and I assumed that I had that Monday Columbus Day off, and I I actually didn't. So I ended up uh, getting in trouble with school a little bit on that one. All right, let's shift into another topic. Um, I, I know a lot of you guys know that Kyrie Irving likes to um, talk a lot and generally seems to be full of shit when he's talking for the most part. But um, he was on a podcast. Uh, this podcast is called um, The uh, Recount. Uh, Recount is titled um, When Power is in Play, Everything is uh, Politics. Okay. Oh, wait, hang on. Maybe this might be just one of those aggregation accounts. I don't know where this podcast actually came from, but whatever the case. All right, I'm just going to follow the recount, and then let's play this actual video. Transitioning, transitioning. Here is Kyrie Irving talking about, I guess, not being able to play a lot this past year. You know, a mandate to yeah. be brought down in a way that it wasn't going to allow me to play at all. Like, you mm-hmm. know... I had the opportunity to play away games still, but there there was no plan in place. There was no vision of like how it's going to work for our team, and I and I think that really impacted um, not just me but a lot of people. So, yeah. you know, just had to sit in the, sit in that hot seat for a little bit and deal with it, man. Life of a martyr, bro. I- let's hear that last part one more time. And deal with it, man. Life of a martyr, bro. And let's hear it one more time. And if you're watching on Twitch.tv slash Galant says, let's take a look at his face and see if. You feel like he's having a little bit of fun here if you think that he's actually making a serious point because I saw this quote first on Twitter as words. I did not actually see this first as Kyrie Irving speaking. So should we defend Kyrie Irving here one more time? Man, life of a martyr, bro. Not expecting. He is smirking a little bit. I'm going to do it one more time. Deal with it, man. Life of a martyr, bro. I got to say, you can't claim martyrdom if you're not, you know, going to die, right? I mean, there's a lot of words that over time we have taken and we have really just 
made the meaning of said word significantly less. I would say the word racist is casually thrown around these days when talking about things that aren't necessarily racist. Maybe insensitive is a better word for some of the things that we label that these days. But in this situation, if Kyrie Irving is claiming that he's living the life of a martyr, well, you're still getting paid, ba- paid to play basketball. You just can't play in the actual games. Being a martyr, who are you being a martyr for? I don't think that anyone, regardless of their opinions on the vaccine, were looking at Kyrie Irving as the person who was going to be able to create change, whether it be in New York or across the United States of America. I know that Kyrie Irving probably thought to himself, yeah, man, I'm an advocate. I'm an activist. I'm someone who's creating change. Because that is something that Kyrie Irving, I feel like, strongly believes about himself, that he has the power because he's a deep thinker to make a lot of these things happen. But you can't call life of a martyr if you're not actually facing like serious danger. A martyr is someone who dies for a cause. Kyrie Irving was paid millions of dollars to not play in basketball games. Martyr, noun, person who is killed because of their religious or other beliefs. Verb, kill someone because because of their beliefs. And I guess Kyrie doesn't like being dragged on social media for his stance on vaccines. And you know what? There probably was a point where we went too far on it. But it more so, I think, had to do with the fact that Kyrie Irving's been so full of shit on things in the past and strongly believes in these things that he actually hasn't put in the amount of energy to researching that it seems like he believes he has. Because going down a deep dive on YouTube with on you know accredited folks, I can lead you to thinking some pretty crazy shit. Anyway, that was Kyrie Irving, everybody. Let's shift into our next topic, and I have a question. What things are as painful as getting hit in the nuts? Because it's painful, right? I mean... Todd the show, by definition, how can you have a life of a martyr? You, you fucking can't, unless you die. Again, um, getting hit in the nuts sucks. And um, if you watched yesterday's Astros game, you might have seen it happen to Jose Altuve. One, two count. Oof. Ooh. I love the call here. And look at his face as he slowly goes down. Give him all the time. Give him all the time, indeed. One, One more time. Count. Oh. Oof. You know, something interesting about sports, specifically man sports, you're supposed to wear a cup. Whether you play football, baseball, basketball, you're supposed to wear a cup because you don't want those things to get smacked around. You don't want to get torsion. You don't want to end up losing one of your balls. You don't want to just suffer the extreme pain that can happen, too, if you get hit there. Because it hurts. It really fucking hurts. You could flick someone, sap, uh, sack tap somebody, and that will hurt. Imagine actually getting hit by a baseball that you hit off of your bat right into that area. And there's no cup there. And cups are annoying. They kind of like chafe a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe you got a lot downstairs and it doesn't all fit in. Whether it be the, uh, <laughs> the berries or the stem. You know, it's one of those things where, like, it's so uncomfortable no one wears it, but it does serve a purpose. So should we wear it? I know I didn't wear it, and I remember one time in football practice, while trying to make a tackle of uh, one of my teammates, Josh, he 
need me and then stepped on my stuff. And I remember for weeks, like I had a giant bruise on my dick and balls. It fucking hurt. Maybe I should have worn a cup, but I never did. I never put one on after that. I never put one on before that. When I was a little kid playing baseball, I did, but that was when I didn't even have anything to protect. But everything descends and all of a sudden you're like, actually, no, no, I'm not gonna do this. But what's as painful as this? Todd, the show says ladies will say childbirth, but they exaggerate. Damn right, yeah. I mean, I broke my mom's hips. That couldn't have been too painful. It is kind of funny to make fun of that side of things because obviously women have it a whole lot worse during the whole pregnancy thing. I mean, a guy could just be like, all right, that's it. And a lady has to carry on a small human in their belly for nine months who is going to make them feel crazy. And then they are going to pop out with generally a very large head out of a very small hole at the very end. I mean, that sounds awful. But, I mean, you know, hitting your head on something, that sucks. I hit my head on things a lot. Stepping on a Lego, that also hurts. Stubbing your toe really hurts. You don't want to do any of those things. You're welcome for breaking it down like that. What else do we got? Oh, yeah. I, so, we got we to gotta calm down online. We really got to calm down online. And if you've noticed on Twitter recently, there have been a lot of posts that have been promoted by both um, the New York Times and the Washington Post, and it'll show up on your Twitter feed and it'll just stay there. So I saw this tweet earlier today, and I was like, oh God, isn't, isn't this exactly the kind of misinformation that could only happen on Elon Musk's Twitter? Someone tweeted this out. Here are my official Authentic Mexican restaurant power rankings. Number one, Chili's. Number two, Chipotle Grill. Number three, Outback Steakhouse. Because there actually is a Mexico in the Outback of Australia. So is Outback Steakhouse from Mexico? Maybe it is. Taco Bell, four. Moe's, five. Old El Paso, six. Taco Cabana, seven. Olive Garden, eight. There's an Olive Garden in Mexico City, Mexican restaurant. Moe's, nine. You already said Moe's. I know. But there's different Moe's all over the place. Qdoba, 10. Someone put this up online. Misinformation under Elon Musk's watch. It happened. I tweeted it. Because I like to tweet out power rankings of lists and because I have a blue check mark, people are going to see them and some of them are going to get super pissed off over the fact that I put out a bunch of bullshit rankings. Some people want to watch the world burn. That is me, 100%. So I hope y'all enjoyed those power rankings because they are authentic. Chili's is the best authentic Mexican restaurant in the entire world. The most authentic. You can't question me on that. I know what authentic Mexican is. It's Cinco de Mayo. I'm wearing a pinata Hawaiian shirt. What are you doing right now? I'm drinking coffee with tequila in it because I saw that happen in the movie Sicario. What are you doing on this day? It's iced coffee. It's fine. It actually blends decently. I'm not even kidding on that front. But I'm as Mexican-American as you are. Todd, the show says baby back ribs and Cinco de Mayo are like peas and carrots. You are right. Lots of javelinas in Mexico, I'm guessing. 
given that there's so many here. You know? Yo quiero mi bebo back, bebo back ribs. Yo quiero some ribs. I need to take more Duolingo. I haven't gotten very far. My streak has stopped. I'm joking when I talk about that misinformation. But that word gets thrown out a lot these days. And it's funny because it seems to be coming from one side of the aisle and not from both. But guess what? There's a lot of fake bullshit online and I feel like everybody should be allowed to navigate through the fake bullshit themselves. I think people should perhaps be a little bit more uh, skeptical and cynical when they see things online. I'm getting more and more by the day. I saw this from um, the New York Times on Twitter. It's a post linking them to an article, linking to an article. Elon Musk, who's about to own Twitter, grew up in an elite white community in South Africa, detached from apartheid's atrocities and surrounded by anti-black propaganda. He sees his takeover of Twitter as a free speech win, but in his youth did not suffer the effects of misinformation. And I read the article and the article is actually pretty interesting. But the headline of this thing is why we are so fucked as a country and as a world when it comes to journalism. Because just think about this. Those two sentences do not link. They are not possible. And yet they are following one another. Elon Musk was surrounded by anti-black propaganda. But in his youth, he did not suffer the effects of misinformation. And this is, I guess, supposed to be, I guess... Uh, a dunk of a tweet on Elon Musk, but it doesn't actually represent what's in the article. And whoever's putting that out from the New York Times knows exactly what the fuck they're doing because this is going to drive up engagement from people on the right and it's going to get more clicks too because people that don't like Elon Musk are going to click on it and read it and look for things that they can find to potentially dunk on Elon Musk with because that's how it fucking goes now. And honestly, you read this article, he's, he's linked to his dad, Errol Musk. I, I didn't even know that his dad was apparently someone that... Uh, uh, was, I don't know if he's pro-apartheid or something like that, but I guess he didn't have the, the best views. Guess what? He's estranged from his son, which is brought up in this article. You go a little bit further in the article towards the very end. And this is very counter to what you see in the New York Times headline. Mr. Musk's current views on fury speech seem to reflect the philosophy students were opposed to, uh, were exposed to and a couple of schools like that of English philosopher John Stuart Mill, a champion of unchecked expression. Another person says, I think Elon Musk's ideas about free speech are very classic liberal and not nuanced. Sounds good, right? For someone who's taking over that people are getting all pissed off about. This article continues. Some who knew Mr. Musk from his young days in South Africa said people should not discount the evolution he could have gone through once he left apartheid and South Africa behind. Well, he was a kid. In a world of misinformation. And maybe this is one of the reasons why he's like, you know what? I want this free speech out there. But there's so many assumptions that are made because of the, the tweet that is in front of the New York Times headline. Which, by the way, the New York Times has a paywall. And you have that as the lead into your story. The tweet that brings people into your story. How many people are actually clicking on that? As opposed to seeing, oh, Elon Musk. Hypocrite. Because that's, that's, I think, what they're trying to go for here. And, you know, they talk about his, his views on the apartheid. Um, as a white student 
coming up in the placid Johannesburg suburbs. He never saw the suffering of his black counterparts. That changed, though, when he did his government-mandated military service. Someone posted this. Elon and Kimball, two brothers, both left South Africa in part to avoid mandatory service in the apartheid-affirming South African army, abhorring the idea of their contributions being used on the wrong side of a possible civil war. They had their other motivations for leaving, including their larger concerns with the culture that was so deeply shaped by the attitudes that drove apartheid itself. So that's why they left. But this article is like, Elon Musk grew up in the white part of the apartheid, and he did not suffer the effects of misinformation, even though he was surrounded by anti-black propaganda. I mean, that's just bullshit. I'm going to show you something else. Here's something else I saw, and this is a promoted, because the Wall Street Journal also is having all sorts of promoted things online. Bill Gates commented on Elon Musk's plan to purchase Twitter and how he can make misinformation online worse. You see that and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, Bill Gates and Elon Musk are going back and forth at one another. This is probably going to be Bill Gates talking shit about Elon Musk. Not necessarily. Let's actually watch the clip. Here is Bill Gates. That. So I think we have a leadership problem and we have a platform problem. So do you have any advice for Elon Musk um, you, as he buys Twitter of what he should do on this? Well, you know, he actually could make it worse. Uh, that's not his track record. I mean, his track record with Tesla and SpaceX is pretty mind-blowing at putting together a great team of engineers and, you know, taking the people who worked in the, those fields in a less bold way and really showing them up. I, I kind of doubt that'll happen this time, but we should have an open mind and never underestimate Elon. Uh, you know, what's his goal where he talks about the openness? Um, you hear that right there. So you assume Bill Gates is talking shit here, how he can make misinformation online worse. He says... When you listen to that quote, he could make misinformation worse, but that's not his track record, and I don't expect that to happen. But what does that post right there say? What does that tweet say? That tweet implies that Bill Gates is saying elsewhere, otherwise. And it's fucking crazy. Like, this is, this is the internet these days. I can't believe that the people that work for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, these websites, they put this clickbait bullshit out there, 280 characters or less, and it's just fucking misleading. And you know, like I, what I have been reading online is that Bill Gates wants to stop Elon Musk. And I see that, and I, I mean, look, maybe he does, and maybe there is some beef that's going on behind the scenes that Elon Musk has been tweeting back at Bill Gates with. But I see that post, and what I hear is a guy who's like, I mean, it's probably going to go well when he takes over Twitter. There are potentially some pitfalls that could happen, but I don't necessarily see them coming. Couple of comments here from Todd the Show. The algorithms on Twitter are designed to just give you the information you want, regardless of the accuracy. That does sound true, which is a shame. I mean, I, you know, I'd like to think that I want both sides of things, but it seems like one side is so annoying these days that it, you kind of want it from the other. It's probably not the good way to go. And I think you could actually like apply that as a blanket statement to both sides of the aisle. Todd the Show continues. I was told that Elon Musk, Elon Musk, bad electric car, good. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we have been told. Anyway, it's just a shame that this is what journalism is. Maybe I should get into it? I don't know. Covering sports is more fun. Less bullshit. Although, sometimes you have some really slow days. Like today! Hope you guys enjoyed today's edition of the Galan Says Podcast. We do this every single day. We try to do it at 3 o'clock Central Time. I've been a little bit difficult. had a difficult time recently getting that all done because I'm trying to get this fucking apartment situation resolved and also 
move into this new condo that I'm about to buy. But I'm very excited to actually get out and get into a better part of town and a nicer place too that I actually can play a little bit with. So appreciate all the support that y'all give me. If you haven't already, twitch.tv slash Galant says, you want to watch this show live, you want to ask anything, you want to talk with me during the show, again, twitch.tv slash Galant says, subscribe or follow. Or if you don't, do that. Maybe you're just still a podcast person. The Galan Says Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts so you can listen. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher as well. So long, farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful Cinco de Mayo and you will hear from me tomorrow on a Friday.